All right. Sweet. What's up, guys? What's up? How's it going? You guys have a good week? Those that went to camp, are you uh, recovered? Raise your hand if you got sick from camp. But you didn't get sick of camp. That's, that's the one thing. Um, hey, guys, this Wednesday, um, we're actually not going to have either junior high or high school service. We're going to be in the main. Uh, Charlie Kirk, who visited us uh, a handful of weeks ago, and we are all in the main together as uh, one big family. Uh, he's coming back this Wednesday, uh, and Pastor Jack um, specifically said he wants you guys in there, uh, which means there's going to be some just youth kind of stuff. So um, don't come up here Wednesday night. Make sure you guys stay with your parents uh, in the main, and um, then we'll meet, of course, the following Wednesday and continue our series through Daniel. Hey, guys, I, I do want to encourage you, if you don't come to Wednesday night services, um, you know, maybe it's because you can't, maybe you have a soccer practice that night or just uh, tons of homework, um, but our Wednesday night services are awesome. I love them. They just have a, a cool vibe to them. Uh, we'll do a game. Uh, I, I think it just feels a little more relaxed. Sometimes Sunday mornings are always just like... And, and that's not necessarily by design. We want you guys, as you see, be a little more, little more loose. But I think just it's in the morning time, something about being at night. So if you've never come to a Wednesday night, definitely come check it out. Um, and, and it's just one more time for us to kind of meet during the week and an awesome just opportunity for some continued discipleship. So we'd love to see you guys there uh, at, at Wednesday nights. Uh, you guys in First John? First John chapter 4, uh, we're going to continue on in our series through this book. Uh, just a couple chapters left. Uh, the title of the message this morning is Don't Be Gullible. You guys like my title? Don't Be Gullible. Uh, raise your hand if, if anyone, if you're like, I'm just a gullible person. person. Most, most of you, okay, okay. Mark, see, Mark's honest. At least he's honest. He's okay, there we go. Some people are just lean a little more gullible. Um, who, who knows anyone that's gullible. Maybe you have a sibling or friend. Gullible people are sometimes fun to mess with. Um, they just are. Um, I know it's sad. Back when I uh, wasn't, uh, let's say, Jesus hadn't brought me yet to the place I'm at now, uh, when not quite BC days, but early on, uh, I, w I just, you guys know what it means to troll someone? I was just a big troll. Tori knows me from back then, and I used to love to troll gullible people. It was just, it was a passion of mine. And if you're passionate about something, you can honestly trick almost anyone into it. If you're passionate and you have like solid reasons for it, uh, you'd be surprised what you can, you know, kind of trick people. I remember uh, when I was in high school and I wasn't uh, as brought along along my Christian journey as I am now. I remember we'd go to like Raging Waters and, you know, uh, you'd look at people and everyone has their shoes off, right? Because it's Raging Waters. And you'd go and be like, hey, your shoe's untied. And they'd look down and be like, oh no. Oh wait, I don't have shoes on. Um, or... Uh, you know, you, you could say uh, just to random people, hey, you dropped your pocket. And they're like, what? And they're like, and it's like, no, you can't. That's not, even, that's not even possible. I remember that I literally convinced someone that there were five seasons. Do you know how many seasons there are? And, and I can have the reason. Like, I can make you, it can almost sound convincing, right? Of course there's five seasons. There's winter, and then there's spring, and then there's summer, and then there's autumn, and then there's fall. Right? That, that's, the, that's the five seasons. Autumn is when the, the, the leaves change colors and fall is when they fall. Those are, people think those are two, but they're really, uh, or people think they're one, but they're really two. There's five seasons, right? And, and you, if you are passionate or you have reasons or you're cool enough, you can convince people. Now, obviously, I, I don't do that anymore. Um, that's not usually too nice. 
Um, or maybe, maybe you've had someone ask you, hey, do you know that gullible isn't in the dictionary? Right? And then a gullible person would go and they'd be like, it is too in the dictionary. And they would right, get out their phone, ask Siri, ask Alexa or something. But you guys can understand this concept of being gullible, right? Well, um, these are some funny examples, but uh, how, about, how about this one? You can go to the next slide. This is true. You guys should try it. If you, if you, if you say oranges very slowly, it's going to sound like gullible. Anyone want to try? Oranges. Yeah, see, see, that would make you gullible, right? Because that's not true. Uh, it's, it's a gullible statement. Or the next one. Someone who would think this would, right, that, that, that would be gullible, right? You see the price? It's $8.33, but then the clearance is $9, right? That's make a little more money. Oh, what about the next one? I don't know if you guys can read that, uh, but it says, I bought an app that tests your gullibility for only $500. That's pretty good. It's a good, you guys, you guys get it? No? Okay, what about this next one? This one's my favorite. We're going to install this machine in our room um, so we can get some more money from you guys. A gullibility test, $1, but these are some funny examples. Uh, but when it comes to the things of God and the Bible, this is an area where you and I, we can't afford to be gullible. This is an area of life where we must be discerning. Whether your personality just leans more believing uh, or maybe a little more cynical, either way, as Christians, we need to be discerning. We cannot afford to be gullible. And, and John uh, kind of transitions now into, again, uh, talking about this, this idea that there are people around us who want to lead us astray, that amongst the flock of God's people, there are certain wolves who want to lead sheep astray. And, and the, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at together in chapter three, uh, we looked at the, the, the trademark of a Christian. We looked at that being love and um, now we're going to transition into chapter four. So you guys have your Bibles? So we're going to read from verses one through six in chapter four, and then we're going to pray. Sound good? Yes, this is not a gullible test, I promise. First John chapter four. So verse one says this, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. And by this we know, we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Father, we... Um, come to you this morning in, in humility and wanting you to teach us. Lord, we admit at times we can be gullible. Lord, we can believe things without fact-checking uh, your word. We can, we can be duped so easily sometimes. Lord, but I pray for us in this room that we would not be swayed by any other doctrine of men, that we would know your word in a way 
Lord, not that we would be infallible, but that your spirit inside us would give us that discernment we so desperately need in our age. Lord, knowing that there are people uh, who are in our churches, who are in the world, who want the worst for us, who want us to be tricked. Lord, would we, would we be steadfast? Would we be immovable servants of God? We love you and pray that you would teach us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, and so John opens up here and notice what is the first word that is said here in chapter four? Beloved. And he reminds them over and over again in every chapter we've seen, he calls them little children. He calls them beloved. And, and this means loved one or one who is cherished. It notes that there is a special relationship here. And jo John, what he's about to say, he's saying from a place of love and of care. He knows that he's not gonna be around forever and he doesn't want them to be deceived. Now, if you're like me and you've been paying close attention to the text that we're in, 1 John, uh, you'll notice that this is a subject he's already brought up before. In 1 John, he seems to repeat himself uh, actually quite often, whether it's about love or whether it's about being aware of being deceived. And he's repeating this because he cares. Uh, maybe you guys have a grandma or grandpa who, who like tells you something over and over again. Maybe some piece of advice or wisdom. Maybe it's something as simple as, right, uh, like you, you want to look twice before you cross the street. Or I know uh, for, for, my, for my wife, Haley, uh, her grandma, no matter, no matter what, if, if, they're, if we're leaving her house, um, she wants to make sure that we have a jacket on. It could be 100 degrees, and she wants to make sure you have a jacket so you don't get a cold. And, and maybe, you, maybe you have a grandpa or grandma who has some other sorts of wisdom, and every time you see them, that you just know that, that they have this for you, or you hear something repeated from your parents, they're saying that from a heart of care. They're not saying that to be annoying, right? They're not saying that to be repetitive. They're saying it because they know the effects of maybe not looking twice before you cross the street, right? Or, or whatever it might be. And chapter four here is a similar scenario, where it can seem like John is repeating himself, but he wants his readers to get this. It means it's important. He wants you to understand this concept of not being deceived, not being duped, not being gullible. And so from a place of love, John warns his readers about these false prophets that he's encountered in the church. And what we're going to look at today, John gives them, as we look at our text, I see three instructions of how not to be swayed by false prophets or these people who are in our midst who, who believe different things. And so we're gonna look at three instructions today, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, three instructions. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, three instructions. That's how many we're gonna look at today, okay? And it's all from the text. Number one, we're gonna look at one of the instructions is that we as believers must discern. That's, that's uh, the, the first kind of instruction that we see here uh, in verses one through three is that we are to be discerning. If you notice in verse one, he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now the definition of gullible is to be easily persuaded or to be easily believe something. And when it comes to the things of God and the things of the Bible, you and I can't just willy-nilly believe everything we hear and accept it as true. 
Just because someone has a Bible in their hand and looks the look doesn't mean they're speaking on behalf of God. And even for me, that as we go through the word, anyone you hear teach the Bible, me, Shadrach, when you get to high school, Pastor Jack, or when you go to some other church or some other school or some other Bible study, that, that you must not just accept, oh, well, they have a Bible in their hand, so they must be speaking truth. It's just certainly not true every time. And this idea that do not believe every spirit, doesn't it kind of sound almost like, ooh, like don't believe every spirit? Um, now, it sounds like that, but the idea is the spirit of a man, that the spirit of a man is, is what's inside him. That as people teach us about God, we need not just believe everything they say because they look the part, because maybe they look innocent or they have a big degree behind their name and they, they graduated from this seminary or went to this school. But we must be discerning of what's behind and what's behind is the spirit of man. And that's where it becomes difficult, right? Because how do you know the spirit of a man? It's not something that's like obvious. It's not something that's uh, posted on them. It's something that you have to look and, and see and observe. And that's where he says, don't just believe every spirit or every man, but test the spirits. Look in verse one, look in your Bibles. He says, test the spirits, whether they are of God. The word test here means to examine. It means to check out, to observe, to look carefully over, to inspect, to put to the test, to discern that we aren't just to accept everything we hear as true. But unfortunately, this is difficult because you and I, God doesn't give us this want, right? I'm, I'm just I'm have my phone as my want. And it's not like we can go up to someone and just kind of pass over them and it will be like, oh, these people are from God or these people stay away. Like we don't have anything like that. It's not like we can use our Bible and uh, up to maybe uh, something we're looking at on the internet and uh, someone's given a sermon and we can't just be like, and it's gonna like beep and tell us, yeah, we're good to go. Like there's, there's nothing like that. And so it, it can be difficult. You and I have to test. We have to discern using our senses. And what do we use? Well, God's given us two things for us to use in this area of testing or discernment. And it's our eyes and it's our ears that we have to use as God-given discernment. And the reason why is because not everyone is true. Not everyone who teaches the Bible teaches it accurately. Sometimes there is a false motive behind. Sometimes there's a selfish or greedy motive behind. Or sometimes they're teaching things that are simply not in there. And if you notice verse one, it says, don't believe every spirit, test them whether they are are of God because there are many false prophets who've gone out into the world. John is telling them that there are people who appear to be speaking on behalf of God who are not doing that. And not everyone who claims to speak to God on behalf of God actually is. And that's the idea. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, there were a lot of false prophets in the Old Testament that usually the true prophets of God were, were not afraid to tell the truth, that they'd be talking about how the, the nation was in sin and kings would, would, not, would not like the prophets because they didn't want to hear the hard thing that God had to say to them. And so they would accept these false prophets who would say, king, you're good, the kingdom is good, we're nothing, no judgment's gonna happen, but they were speaking a false message. 
And it's not like it's obvious when someone is a false prophet. False teachers usually say things that are very much Christian. They say things that are very much Bible, but there's this one area where they're completely off, and it's a major area, that they look the part, everything looks good, but there's an area of danger and of concern. They don't have a sign, like false prophets don't have a sign saying, I'm a false prophet. They don't have a a t-shirt that says, you know, false prophet here. They don't, uh, unfortunately, it's not like their, their point of promotion, like their PR, their promotion isn't like, we're false teachers. No, that would be very, you wouldn't want to go. It's, but it's usually not that easy. Usually the look is good. It sounds good. But the doctrine is off. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Test all things and hold fast what is good. You might be sitting here and saying, well, this doesn't concern me. Um, and I was praying for you guys as we were worshiping and, and the Lord had just put on my heart is that you're not gonna be in this room. I would hope that you can trust me. I still want you to fact check me and I still want you to, that's why I want you to you know, write down the verses and, and pay attention when I say read the Bible. If I begin to say something that's not here, you come up to me and you tell me and you say, hey, I'm confused about this because it says this, but you said that. But for the most part, uh, you can trust me. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm in this position because I believe God's placed me here and I'm, and I'm teaching the word as best to my ability. And I know when you go to high school, uh, there's going to be Shadrach who's going to be teaching you the Bible. And I've known Shadrach for years. He was my high school pastor. And he's going to be teaching you the Bible. And then you don't know where you're going to be after that. You might move away to college. Some of you might go to Liberty University on the other side of the country. Some of you might go to a different country. You have no idea where you might go or where you might be. If you're in the main, yeah, you can trust it. Uh, Pastor Jack teaches the Bible and nothing but it. But the reality, what I was thinking about is seeing that some of you guys, you're going to be going off to other colleges. Maybe some of you will be going to Christian colleges that have Bible classes, And not everyone that you're going to encounter in life is going to be teaching this accurately. And so you must be discerning. And this is relevant for you guys. This is big because maybe right now this is the main source of your Bible teaching. But the internet is a huge thing. And some of you, who watches YouTube in here? Raise your hand. A lot of you. Do you know there are great Bible resources on the internet? Awesome. Amazing. You can listen to Pastor Jack on the internet. You can go to something called the One Minute Apologist. There's all kinds of great Christian resources that are so biblically based and you don't have to worry about. However, there are also tons of people on YouTube who are false prophets, who are false teachers. And how do you know that you're just going to be watching some video about video games? I don't know why you guys do that. It's crazy. But you guys are right. You're watching your video, not playing the video game, but you're watching the video about the video game or you're watching someone funny. I get it. Um, And then something pops up and it's not going to say like false prophet teaching. It's going to say something real catching. And how, when you start listening to that, are you going to be able to discern? You got to open your eyes and your ears. Now the spirit of a man though, is it's impossible to know that for you and I, this is something that's only God's business. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Not 
as pleasing men, but God who, notice, tests our hearts. That ultimately, you, I can't know your motives, but I can listen to what you believe. I can't know who you really are on the inside, but I see your actions. And by my ears and by my eyes, I can begin over time to see where you're at. And God's given us these tools to be able to discern and to be able to know something that we're not usually able to know. And now verse two, he goes on and he gives us the tool. He gave us the what, what we're to do. We're to not just believe anything we hear, but we're to test. He gave us the why, right? The why is because there's people that teach false things. There's false prophets. But then he gives us the how. And he says this, verse two, look in your Bible. He says, by this, you know the spirit of God. That whatever he's about to say is the starting point to know if God is the motivation behind the person. The word to know here means to know by experience. It means to know by experience, by observation, right? Or other senses. It's, it's our eyes and ears by looking that you and I are able to know right away. This is, this is the foundation. It's not the only thing, but this is always to be the starting place for someone that we're listening to on, be, on speaking on behalf of God through his word. That the test comes down to whatever they say about Jesus. This is the beginning part. This is the most important part. He says, notice it says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Boom, okay. The meter goes green. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Boom, the meter goes red. That this is the base. And I want you to notice here that he's specifically dealing with Jesus' humanity. He says, if someone were to claim that Jesus didn't really become a human, then that is the first point that you can know they're a false prophet, they're a false teacher, what they're saying. You can trust nothing what they're about to say. And this is the, this is the biggest and, and starting point. Now for John, this was relevant to what he was dealing with, right? He was writing to a specific people at a specific time for a specific situation. And during that time, there are these people called the Gnostics. Everyone say Gnostics. The Gnostics believed that anything material was evil. So because this pulpit was, is material, it's evil. It's impure. And so because everything material is evil, if Jesus being God, they didn't question his deity, but they questioned that he didn't really become a human. He looked like it, but he was some kind of spirit being not actually flesh. But the Bible teaches the opposite. And so John had to warn and John had to tell them. And the fact that Jesus was God is just as significant that Jesus was human. Because if Jesus wasn't human, you and I are still stuck in our sins. It's the fact that he became like you and I that he's able to make the sacrifice for us. Huge. It has everything to do with the gospel and everything to do with the cross. But for Paul, he dealt with something different. I want you to look at this verse, uh, and he's writing to the Corinthians here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. 
for Paul, the, the situation that he was in, the specific people that he was writing to, had to do with Jesus's deity. And so he says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That for him, his issue was that there were some people in Corinth that, had, that were questioning that, no, Jesus was a created being. He wasn't actually God. And so it's not so much about whether Jesus is human or Jesus is God is the starting point. It's Jesus is the starting point and what the Bible says about him. This is the best place to be, believe. You want to know what someone believes about Jesus. And especially in our world today, because I'm telling you guys, there are a lot of versions of Jesus. People can call themselves Christians and say they believe in Jesus, but then when you start asking them, what Jesus do you believe in? Sometimes you can get very different answers. And so even in your sharing your faith and asking your friends, you might have a friend who's Mormon and they'll say they believe in Jesus. You need to ask them, which Jesus do you believe in? What do you believe about him? Do you believe he is human? Do you believe he is God, not a creation? You need to ask those questions because there are many versions of Jesus now in our world today. But it is more than just a confession. Notice it says, he who confesses Jesus actually came in the flesh. But it's more than just a statement or a creed. Do you guys know what a creed is? It's basically, it's something that someone believes. Someone can even say, I believe that, you know, and, and, and maybe it sounds really good. But then when they start really teaching about Jesus, uh, they start to contradict themselves. And this is where our testing comes in. This is where you and I need discernment. And I want to give you guys the way that Jesus put it. He put it this way in Matthew chapter 10. You'll have to skip a couple slides. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Have you guys ever heard this verse before? So I believe what Jesus wants from his disciples is, is this discernment, this wisdom. They need to be wise as they go out because they're sheep in the midst of wolves and they need to be wise that they don't believe everyone they hear. And we need to use wisdom in our life, but it doesn't mean we become like wolf hunters, right? There's no like spiritual gift of false prophet hunting. Like that, that's, not, that's not a thing. God, of course, wants us to call them out and rebuke them if necessary in the church. But you and I, it's not like we're, you know, uh, like your position, we don't have like a title here at our church and, and it's known as the wolf hunter, okay? Um, meaning we're to be harmless as doves, we just, but, but wise, keen, smart, understanding. I like how Paul, this is how Jesus put it. Let me show you how Paul put it. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 5. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. This is being aware do you guys know some people who are just like really unaware? Like just by nature, like you're with them and they're like, they, like that person just walked by and he was a sketchy looking dude and this person had no idea. I know for me, I, I have those people in my life. I am not one of those people. I'm one of those people where I'm just, I, I, at least I, I think I am, uh, where I'm aware, right? When, if I'm with my wife and we're somewhere, I'm looking at how other people are. Like I'm, 
You know, if we go into a restaurant, uh, I know Gilbert's this way, you know, he likes to put his, his, his back to the wall so he can see. He likes to be aware. Uh, and, and this is good. And this is how we are to live as Christians, not just believing everything we take in, but walking circumspectly, wisdom. Peter warned his people. Peter put it like this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be sober, be, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Have you guys ever been to Los Angeles before, like LA area? Have you ever been in like sketchy LA areas? That is a place you don't want to be unaware. Okay, there, there's a place that we used to take youth down, uh, and it was the Fred Jordan Mission. It's in uh, Skid Row. And that's a place where you don't just want to like walk willy-nilly, and ha- you, you don't even want to have sandals on because there can be needles on the floor. You want to watch where you're walking because there could be literally poop or pee right there on the street. And you don't want to walk like, you know, there's a difference between walking on Skid Row in L.A., right, than to walking like the shops, if you're in the shops, you don't have to worry about it. You can, I mean, you should build, still not be unaware, but you don't have to worry about necessarily other people as much, right? You, do you understand? You and I, as Christians, we should be as if we are always living in Skid Row. We should be aware. If someone's talking about God, we should, we should listen, not just take it in. We should see, okay, who is this person? What's their background? What's their history? We need to be vigilant. Let me put it this way. (laughs) We shouldn't eat every berry we see as tempting as it may be. You guys hear me? I'm gonna say it one more time. We shouldn't eat every berry we see as tempting as it may be. Did did anyone go to the fifth and sixth grade camp in children's ministry? See, Natasha knows what I'm talking about. I have a vivid memory. I went to the, no, they didn't have fourth grade camp back then. They only had fifth and sixth when I was, in children's ministry. Forest home. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Forest home. Okay, do you know that, how they take you on that trail on the way from the cabins yeah. to the lake? And then on the side of the road, there's those berries. Yeah. Do they still have those? Yeah. So those are amazing. I remember when I was in fifth and sixth grade, we would take water bottles and we would, you know, they, they didn't want us to, but we would, we would take water bottles and we would put the berries in there and we would make jam out of that. It was so good. Tart, sour, but that's like being unaware because you, I don't know where these berries have been. I don't know if they're poisonous. Uh, you know, there are poisonous berries, right? And so as tempting as it may be, it's not just like, oh, fruit, let me, just, let me just eat. You could die, okay? And so in the same way, just because a teaching sounds really good or what someone has to say looks really good doesn't mean it's good for you. Do you understand? So as tempting as it may be, don't eat every berry you see, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. Come on, I thought you guys would like my, billy, my berry illustration a little more. I really like that one. That one got me excited. Good memories. Forest home was awesome. You guys should come to camp. Camps are the best. Anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says this, starting in verse 13. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Guys, the enemy has been doing this for a long time. 
you and I must have discernment. Paul warned the Ephesians before he left them, Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 30. He warned them, Paul is about, he's been with the Ephesians for a good while, a handful of years, and they've had a great relationship, and he's about to leave them never to see them again. And he says this, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Guys, I've seen this even at our own church. I've seen it where there was a false teaching and and people were drawn away to it and they left the church because of it. And And it's dangerous and it's here and it's present. And you need to be aware as you continue to grow in your relationship with the Lord. The word, do you see where it says take heed? That word take heed, it just means to pay attention. That when someone is even sharing with you, even, even out in the courtyard, it's not that we're to be, become these like very cynical people. You know what it means to be cynical? Just like super judgmental of everyone. And it's not that, but we are to be careful. We are to pay attention to have our eyes open and our ears listening. The second thing, direction, we, we've only gone over one, and that was discern. Uh, the next two are, will not be as long, I promise. The, next, the, the second one is that we are to know. I want you to write that down. That in light of false teachers, we are not only to have discernment, but we are to have a level of knowledge. In verses 5 and 6, John takes a sharp contrast of that if you are of the world, you're going to speak like the world and you're going to want to hear the things in the world. And if you are of God, then you're going to hear, if someone's of God, they're going to hear what God has to say. And as we start at who Jesus is, that's only the foundation. We must go on to other areas of doctrine as well. We must see the person's willingness to stick to what the Bible has to say, that the things that we ingest must be biblical, And there's this idea, if you look at verse six, he talks about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And the ultimate test to discern who's of the spirit of truth and who is of the spirit of error is someone's willingness to heed what the word of God has to say. Because the Bible says that that his sheep hear his voice. John 10, 27. Also, John 8, 47 says, He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. And then John 10, 27 talks about how God's people, you can discern, is if someone, if you come to someone and you have the Bible and you have your verses of of just, you want to talk it out because they're saying something contradictory. If they're not willing to hear the word, if the word is not the authority, then right away you can know that they are not of the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. But the test is to be that of doctrine. And I want you guys to have this word in your head. Everyone say doctrine. I know it sounds like an intense word, um, but it just means what you believe. That right now that you have a certain set of doctrines that you believe, whether how, however much knowledge or not, that you have a certain doctrine. You have a doctrine of what you believe about Jesus. 
You have a doctrine of what you believe about the Holy Spirit. You have a doctrine of what you believe about what the church is to be. At, what, at whatever level. And it's basically what you believe. And you and I are to care about what other people believe. And, and if they're the ones that we're receiving teaching from. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times... Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to, notice, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You see, I fully believe that Satan is involved in false teaching, teaching that goes against what the Bible says, that sounds biblical but twists it, sounds biblical but perverts it, just a little bit sometimes, but in big areas Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 says this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Do you hear the verbiage in this? That notice it says deceitful, tricking. It's because you use things that sound right to trick someone, right? You use things that someone wants to hear to trick them. And it's going to sound good. But this is why it is so imperative that the word of God is in us in a place. How are you going to be discerning of false teaching if you don't know true teaching? If you're not studying the Bible for yourself, you're not going to be able to discern when someone is teaching something false. You're going to go right into it. This is why it's imperative that we fulfill 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself with proof to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I want you guys to think. If someone comes up to you and they start sharing, or maybe you watch a video online or whatever it might be, and they start talking about Jesus, how, well, he wasn't really God. Like, he was, he's powerful. He's like, he's up there. But he wasn't, he's not actually God himself. I mean, even think about John 3.16. It's God's son. It's, it's not him. And they start using scripture to be able to have their argument. Are you able from the word of God to show them their error? Are you able to know for yourself? Because if Satan knows the word of God, which he does, and better than you and I, then you and I better know the word as well. Are you able to point to John chapter 1, verse 1, and show that Jesus is God? What about John chapter 1, verse 14, that talks about how Jesus actually came in the flesh. He dwelt among us. Are you able to, if I handed you a Bible, can you show me where does it say that Jesus is God? Are you able to take me to Philippians chapter 2 and show me that it says that Jesus has uh, been exalted and he's on the right hand of the throne of God? Do you know the word enough to discern the spirit of error? I'm afraid for some of you guys, you don't. Some of you are not in your Bibles. Some of you guys are, don't know your word. And it grieves me to think about you maybe a year from now or even now or a few years from now and still not in your Bibles. And so uh, someone comes along with some teaching and they, and they just, they take you like Ephesians talked about that they take you away, they draw you to themselves because you are ignorant of what the word has to say. Guys, more Bible gives us more discernment. You see, there's a, 
you know, as he's talking about this discernment and this kind of testing, you see, back in John's day, uh, they didn't have like credit cards. Do you guys know that? They didn't have like debit cards or uh, they didn't even have really like paper money. They used coins. And how they used their coins and how much a coin was worth was based off the type of metal, right? And then also the weight of that metal. And so no one would just accept money just based upon how it, how it even looked, that they would get out the things and they would make sure that it's the right material, that they would oftentimes in the marketplaces, they would have scales and the different scales would have a certain weight on one side and you would put your change on the other to see exactly how much it was. And this is that idea of testing. This is the idea of discerning. And we need to know what we're, what is in the scales. We need to know the other side of, uh, okay, what, what, what is this? Is this accurate? Is this according to what the Bible says? Raise your hand if you like in and out. Just raise your hand. Um, in and out's amazing. It just is. And they have a very intense evaluation. That's why you could go to any in and out any day, and it tastes pretty much exactly the same. There's the occasional where it's like, okay, the fries were, you know, a little not good today. The occasional where the burger's a little bit, okay. But for the most part, they have a very intense, their evaluation and their expectation is extremely strict. The type of meat they have, if you were to go into an In-N-Out facility, cleaner than you could possibly imagine. And it's because there's, that's how their stuff is so good. Their standards are very high. Or uh, Haley, uh, my wife, she used to work at Starbucks. When we first started uh, dating, um, I didn't like coffee, actually, and she slowly weaned me on to coffee, and now I like it a lot. Um, but they had a very intense evaluation there. They had something called Quaza, um, and they would basically come, I forget how often, and they would have two hours of evaluation. They would be inspecting everything, that if you touched uh, anything, uh, if you touch anything on you, if you put your hands in your pocket, you touch your hair, um, whatever it might be, uh, if you didn't go and wash your hands, they could fail the entire store. That, that, that's how serious it was. They would look for dust. They would look for fridge temperatures if they were slightly off. Um, they would look as they're preparing the drinks. If they touched the rim of the cup before giving it to the customer, even just slightly, they could fail you. It's very intense. And it's because they, they put them through this test. And you and I, how much more should you and I know the expectation, know what God has said to be able to, as we come to our Bible teaching and learn, we should have that strict evaluation. We should know the word enough to be able to discern. Does it make sense? It's following? It's very important that you guys get this and don't believe everything you hear. We can't be gullible Christians or we'll just kind of be rocked back and forth and, oh, that sounds good. Okay, that sounds good. No, what does the Bible say? I want to just bring the last thing to your attention and that's verse four. And that's our third and final kind of instruction and that's to remember. Um, not in order by any means, but verse four is, to me, kind of a standout verse in this section. And we'll read it once more. He says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You see, what paying attention and being aware 
and not being gullible doesn't mean, it doesn't mean to be this like nervous wreck, wondering, oh man, I don't know if I can listen to it. Should I listen to it? Oh no, no, no. Okay. That's not it. It's not that we should be, uh, you know, this nervous wreck worrying if they're a false prophet or not. Uh, where you get so crazy and you're like, I should just not listen to the, any Bible teaching. I'll just be me, my Bible, and God. I'll just stay in my room forever, okay? That's not it. And verse four gives them an important reminder that in the midst of the reality that there are false teachers in our midst, he says, you are of God and you have overcome them. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And there's just this encouragement Verse four is just this reality of, look, be discerning, be aware, but you're of God, so you don't gotta worry about it. You don't have to become this nervous wreck. Just be aware, know scripture, be discerning, but they're not gonna be able to overcome you. They're not gonna be able to shake the faith that, that you have in God. Notice it says that they've overcome this. This means to have victory that we don't need to be afraid of false prophets. We don't need to be afraid of Satan. We don't need to be afraid of the Antichrist or the spirit thereof, that the victory has already been handled in Jesus and the victory is already won. Does that make sense? It's an awesome encouragement, this reality of victory. Romans chapter eight, verse 37 and 30 through 39 says this, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That as much as we might deal with uh, in, our, in our time people who are against us and are against what God says, is that the, the victory has already been, been won. We don't need to be a, a nervous wreck. John 16, says that Jesus would tell us that he has overcome the world. And that means everyone in the world and everything of the world. And as we just close, guys, um, the Christian cannot afford to be gullible. We must walk around with wisdom. We must walk circumspectly. We must test all things and hold to what is good. We must know the word so that we know what is false. And I want you to listen to this. If Satan can't get you to walk away from Christianity, he will seek to pervert and twist your Christianity. You guys hear me? If he's like, if you might say, I'm, I'm never not following Jesus. Awesome, right on. And maybe Satan realizes that. Then he'll change his tactics and he'll want to draw you away in other ways. And it's nothing to be afraid of. We're not to be scared or nervous. Ultimately, we have the victory in Jesus. But the reality is, is that we can't just live this life and hear teaching and act like it's all okay. We must be discerning. Make sense? Any questions? Okay. Lord, we come before you and Lord, we thank you for your word and just the clarity in it. Lord, just that you expect us to walk in wisdom. Lord, that for the Christian, there is no day off. That the rest ultimately is in heaven. Lord, that here as we, as we seek to learn you, do, we have good motives in wanting to hear Bible teaching and wanting to know more. And I pray that as these students grow in this youth ministry and, and grow as they become adults, 
Lord, that as no doubt Satan will try to infiltrate and try to get them to believe something that's not true, Lord, would your word prevail in their life? Would they seek you? Lord, in that seeking, would they read your word, not just to gain knowledge, but to know who you are so that when they hear someone else saying something that's against your nature, that their ears would pop up, that they would say, no, my God isn't that way. And they'd be so personal with you that they wouldn't accept anything false, that they wouldn't become harsh, Lord, but they would be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Yes, rebuking false teaching, Lord, but with grace, with love. And Lord, that you just keep them on that path that you want them to be on. Lord, nothing would break my heart more than to see them go off and believe something that's not true. That even John would say that his greatest joy is to see his children, those that he's poured into, walk in truth. Lord, would today we would walk in truth. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I just had a thought while we were praying. And you know how, like, you, you have someone that you know? You guys can stand. That's cool. You know how you have someone that you know, and, and if you heard someone else say something about them, even if you weren't sure it was true or not, you would, you would, you would come to their, their uh, defense because you know their nature, right? You're like, there's no way. I, I know for a fact that this person, my my mom would never do this or my friend would never do this. It's because you know them. And when, the more that you are able to know the Lord and have that personal relationship with him, it'll be that much easier. Someone will say something about God and be like, that's not true. My God isn't like that. I know that because of this verse. I know that because of my, I know him. It's not just I know what is said about him, but I know him personally. And uh, the awesome thing is that God doesn't need our defense. But guys, uh, this just this close in worship, and uh, yeah, this close in worship.